welcome to the Premier League Proven Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff, with my co-host and brother, Kevin. And today we're here to talk about a team that I think in America is has one of the biggest American followings, is a team that I think has penetrated the kind of American mind meld of popular soccer teams. And Chelsea FC, uh, Chelsea Football Club, is definitely one of the biggest clubs in England and in the world and definitely one of the most famous, in part because of the way that the club has always had a mentality of winning. If you want to get a little bit of the history of Chelsea, definitely go listen to the History of the Premier League podcast, which kind of chronicles the rise of Roman Abramovich, uh, who's the Russian oligarch who bought Chelsea and really turned them to the next level, turned them what into what they are today. Uh, Chelsea was always a decently big club, even before the Abramovich era. Um, they struggled in the 70s and 80s, got back to the top division, I think, in the late 80s. But they were always just kind of one of a lot of different London clubs. It's really that Abramovich era that turned them into one of the truly elite. And I don't know, when you and I started watching, Chelsea, I think, has always been this kind of powerhouse and this kind of team that you just never want your team to play. Because Chelsea has always been fearsome and kind of this team of almost like warriors or something like that. It's like a ruthless efficiency, if I quite say, you know, not really the beautiful game, but I think like you're saying, it's it's like win no matter what. And it seems like, you know, over the last, since this 03, they've been winning more often than not. I think when the other teams that we've been talking about, I think teams like United, Tottenham, Arsenal uh, have a tradition of kind of playing attacking football. The fans really like to see that. Chelsea, I think, is very different in the sense that it's all about winning. And I, th a lot of that comes from Roman Abramovich himself. He ran the club ruthlessly. The entire, a lot of the history of the English game has been about giving managers time, basically letting managers run the entire club. People like Arsene Wenger, Sir Alex Ferguson, I think, epitomize that uh, to the kind of utmost degree. Roman Abramovich kind of brought a new style, a style that is much more congruent with the modern style, how most clubs are run these days, which is to have somebody that is above the manager in every sense of the word, having a director of football, but more than that, and also an owner who is incredibly involved. So he is the definition, or he was the definition of an active owner, somebody that takes a really big piece into the piece of the decision-making of the club. And Abramovich expected results. Uh, no, even Jose Mourinho, who took the league by absolute storm in the mid-2000s after spending tons of money, it only took one year of them not winning the title before he was basically booted to the curb. And so, some of that is ego. But that ruthlessness of getting rid of a manager if he doesn't have one good season is not something that most clubs do or at least did during that time, and it is definitely something that has become more and more common, and Chelsea is really the ones that kind of took that to the next level. And like you said, Chelsea has always been about winning. They are a team that the culture is about winning. Second is not a good enough for them, and I think that's re reflected in all of the success, all of the results that they've had through the Abramovich era. I really do associate them with kind of shepherding, at least the Premier League, into the modern era. Just like you're saying, you know, managers aren't really given time to, you know, flounder around or kind of fit their style. It's, you know, kind of a little bit more of a results now. And even more so is just how much money that they injected into the game. I mean, it's pretty wild to look at transfers, you know, even inflation adjusted uh, prior to 03. It, it was just, you know, pennies of what is being spent now. And I think a lot of that cash infusion uh, really comes from Abramovich's Chelsea. So it, it's really interesting and stuff like financial fair play, which has obviously changed the kind of landscape of you know, the entire soccer world, uh, is directly influenced in a lot because of Chelsea. And Chelsea has been really successful buying players and then telling the manager, these are the players that we bought for you, go win with them. Whereas other clubs, they'll fire, they'll hire somebody that that manager says, oh, you need to buy the guys that I want to have on my team that I've worked with before. And 
then those guys fail. And then you bring in a new guy with a completely different style. And then he's like, I want my guys with that follow my own style, which is completely different than the one you just had. And Chelsea is really the one of the first teams, that, at least of the big teams, that basically said, nope, these are the players. They're really good players. We spent a lot, a lot of money on them. <laughs> How about you go and succeed with them? And if you don't, you have one bad year, you're out. I don't care what your pedigree is. There's a million other managers lined up that will come work for Chelsea. And that worked throughout the entire Abramovich era. They basically hired Carlos Ancelotti. Well, just jumping back, after Mourinho, they hired a guy that never really coached at the top level, Offerman Grant, uh, who actually took champ Chelsea to the Champions League final, and they lost that against Manchester United in 2007-2008. They had a couple failures uh, with Andre Villas-Boas and some other people, but they brought in Carlos Ancelotti, who won a FA Cup and Premier League double in 2009-2010. They ended up bringing Jose Mourinho back for kind of a second run, the second go-around, which was actually successful. Um, they won another league title in 2015, and then in they brought in Antonio Conte, uh, who won a title in 2017. And you can see where uh, Tottenham got the ideas for Jose Mourinho and T Antonio Conte. Uh, about two years after they uh, were fired by Chelsea, they picked up both of those guys. Actually, Anvil Spurs has had Spurs for a little bit. And weirdly enough, I think he's a, or at least he was for a little bit, like some, not quite F1, but like some sort of race car driver. Uh, he was like doing some circuits. Uh, I think he got into actually kind of an accident where he ended up stopping doing it, but after he kind of fizzled out Spurs and moved around, I think he went to maybe Moscow and the Russian. Yeah, he league. went somewhere in Russia, I think. Yeah, he's just speed running the whole career because he started at like thirty-five, and then he's like, "All right, by fifty-five, I'm yeah, out." It's the Benjamin Button, right? You start high and you go downhill. Yeah, he did it backwards. Uh, he got his money early, though. That's better. Uh, but Chelsea was their big thing was they were never really able to win the Champions League. Um, up until Roberto Di Matteo, who was a manager that was basically there as kind of a stand-in guy, when Chelsea was finishing sixth in the league, I think, that year, they ended up winning the Champions League. It was like one of the most, uh, it was kind of the end of that era of Didier Drogba and Lampard and Terry, and uh, they were able to actually squeak out a Champions League kind of against all odds. They had an awful, awful season, but actually it was very ironic that they won the Champions League. They're High, the highest thing that they'd been going for for a long time in the year that they're actually terrible. And I think that mid-2000, even though they won in 2015, 2017, you could start to see the cracks uh, of Chelsea and maybe some of the downsides of the ruthlessness that they had uh, because most teams at the top, you know, your Uniteds, Liverpools, they tended not to have kind of horrible seasons. A season for them, a bad season for them would be finishing, you know, sixth place. Chelsea does the meltdown. They they do the highs very well, but Chelsea does the meltdown better than anybody else. Uh, Chelsea ended up finishing, finished 12th in the season in between, right after they won their title. And it was kind of looked at as a meltdown by Jose Mourinho and his managing style where he demands a lot of the players and they kind of rebelled. And that was this first kind of idea of quote-unquote player power and did the players have more power than the manager which in could be a downside of that kind of top-down approach where the players know that they're going to be there longer than the manager in classically in a Sir Alex Ferguson or Arsene Wenger team you cross the manager you're out of the club period in a in a in a team that if you don't play well the t the season doesn't go well you just know that you're going to get a new top tier manager in next year and they're not going to get rid of you are you kind of aligning the incentives where the players if they're not happy with the manager even if it's all on a subconscious level are the players not playing as well because they kind of have too much power and know that the club is just going to get rid of the manager and the manager is going to take all the blame so that kind of crept in. They brought in Antonio Conte, won the league again next year after a little bit more spending. This is kind of the Eden Hazard years where he's one of the the linchpins of the team, one of the absolute best players in the world, probably one of the best dribblers that the Premier League's ever seen. Super exciting guy. Uh, he has not done well at Real Madrid, and they sold him there for like $130 million, But uh, So they got their money's worth uh, out of him both times. So 
I think he just retired this year too, right? After his he's basically saying after my contract ends, yeah, I'm done playing. Yeah, it's kind of his his story. I think is kind of a little bit sad in the sense that uh, he never he got a lot of injuries at Real Madrid, and that was a move that he had always been looking towards. Uh, there's he was always never really the best kind of trainer, uh, or you know what they what we would call kind of practicers. You know, was never the kind of guy that was like super fit and always uh, trying his best in practice. But he was just so much more naturally talented than everyone else. So he ended up having kind of a shortened career. But at the end of the day, he was legendary in the Premier League and carried that Chelsea team to a Champions League and couple uh, Premier Leagues as well. And the interesting thing is, so there's all this drama back back in the day when Eden Hazard he was wanted when he was at Lille. He was wanted by every single team in England. And the thought was that he was coming to England. And all the papers were basically saying it. Um, and with like three or four days left, I think, in the transfer market, or basically uh, he came out and said on Twitter, I am signing for the champions of of Europe. Uh, basically, United thought they were going to get him. Everybody, th- Arsenal thought they were going to get him. Liverpool, I think, was trying to get him. And he basically announced uh, on Twitter that he's going to Chelsea, which doesn't really happen anymore. Um, they always do these stupid official announcement videos and stuff like that. But he kind of he kind of took things in his own hands and uh, told the world he's going to Chelsea, and he really made a mark there. I remember, actually remember in our basement for some reason this is like a weird memory. Before I was really following the program this close, you were like upset that you're like this kid is going to be absolutely incredible, and you know he's going to Chelsea, and that was kind of like yeah, the heyday of you know the Chelsea United kind of rivalry so and obviously it worked out pretty well for Chelsea but they brought in Antonio Conte he won the league with them and then they had another meltdown and the team didn't finish uh very high highly as well and that kind of led to another reboot all of which to say is that it led to this Thomas Tuchel era who is a German manager of the kind of new school German uh guys who definitely plays this really aggressive pressing system and they ended up winning the Champions League. They beat Manchester City in the Champions League final. That entire era had this background in it and with, and, you know, bringing all the geopolitics into this. Abramovich, there's a lot of uh, antipathy, I think, between the UK and Russia. And obviously, I'm not an expert in these things, um, especially that there's a lot of classically Russian oligarchs park a lot of their money and moved over to England uh, and have some influence there. And as the Ukraine war, as all of that kind of came more and more into the spotlight, the relationship of Abramovich in England uh, basically became worse and worse. Uh, they ended up, I think, revoking his citizenship, and he was essentially forced to sell the club, uh, which he did for a cut rate price, essentially. Um, and he sold it to the owner of the Dodgers, the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are other, basically the, the other version of the Yankees in uh, Major League Baseball, who have been incredibly successful or probably one of the best run teams in baseball, who is a billionaire. And he has completely changed Chelsea in every single way. And whatever the Abramovich era was, it is thor- thoroughly, completely gone. Everything is different. The slate has been... Not only it's like the etch a sketch, Roman Abramovich was drawn on that thing for uh, decades, and then Todd Bowley came in, bought, spent his billions, and shook the whole thing up, and uh, it's all blank now. See, on paper, you would think coming off of winning a Champions League, Chelsea is probably you know sitting high, sitting in a good place. Uh, they have a, another world class manager there, and Thomas Tuchel, but. Things seemed like they didn't really work out too well for them. Uh, so that kind of period with Tuchel, Chelsea, again, like they're so cutthroat as far as, you know, needing results uh, immediately. And when those things kind of don't go their way, it doesn't even matter that you won the Champions League so recently. It's what have you done for me recently? And like exactly what you're saying, you can't fire the team, so you fire the manager. And that's exactly what they did uh, last season. Uh, they got rid of him and brought in... The manager from Brighton, Graham Potter, who, you know, everybody loved what he was doing with the project over at Brighton. Unfortunately for Graham Potter, or fortunately, however you want to look at it, I think he only lasted about two months there. I'm sure he got a huge, huge payday uh, from it. But it looks like, you know, Chelsea really is living up their names of hitting the lows low. And 
they've kind of been in a in a little bit of a tailspin and disarray from the end of last year into this year. I mean, at the end of last year, they basically wrote off the end of their season, brought back Frank Lampard, who was you know sacked from being the Everton manager, which is never a good thing to bring that guy into to your club. Yeah, I mean, he's a Chelsea legend. He's probably the one of the absolute biggest Chelsea legends in history. Like he is, you know. Up that he's absolutely on the Mount Rushmore of all Chelsea football club uh, people that have ever played or uh, been a part of the club, and so he is loved by the fans. He had a during the COVID times. He actually when uh, Abramovich and all in Chelsea actually had a transfer ban uh, because of some irregularities financially, uh, which kind of led up to some of the antipathy between Abramovich and the authorities uh, that kind of run football. He was kind of the caretaker and things kind of went a little bit sour but he always had a great relationship with the fans so when two, when uh, things don't go well for a club a lot of times if it's mid-season you just fire that guy and you bring in somebody that's popular with the fans um turns out yeah he can't manage at all uh he's terrible but i know we glossed over grand potter's appointment at chelsea last year but i think it probably deserves uh, a little bit of a, a look it's wild how fast your fortune and your reputation as a manager can go. I mean, he he was any team in England that didn't have a top flight manager uh, would have loved to have Graham Potter there, right? He was synonymous with all of Brighton's success, and within two months, that kind of gets all erased, right? He no longer looks like this genius who's set Brighton up for all his success, and honestly, his successor at Brighton now looks like he he has you know that pedigree he has that reputation now because Brighton has kept the the train on the tracks and continues to do great things and his stint at Chelsea was an absolute absolute disaster yeah I mean Brighton if you Brighton is really wasn't that much they're better now than they were back then but Brighton is a tiny club and Graham Potter was the one that brought them up the ranks and so however you would want to look at Deserby right now, that's exactly how everyone looked at Graham Potter. Right now, Deserby has the world at his feet. It seems like he could go to literally any club in the world, like even Real Madrid-type clubs, um, if he if uh, he wanted to leave Brighton. And Graham Potter maybe wasn't quite on that level, but he was a media darling. He was thought to be, is he a candidate for the England job, the England national team job? Graham Potter was thought to be just the next big thing in management and within two months of playing terribly and basically not being able to kind of he, he didn't really seem to have the personality or kind of the the power or authority or aura that you kind of need to run one of these really big clubs he was a little he's a more soft-spoken guy kind of a a gentler seemingly kind of guy in terms of his press conferences all these things and he didn't seem like he was quite in it with the fight and they kind of ate him alive, uh, and the team was terrible last year. When I say Chelsea, no one does meltdowns as good as Chelsea does them, or as well as Chelsea does them. Chelsea finished 14th last year. They spent, I'm pretty sure they spent about half a billion pounds. They spent more money than all of the teams around them put together, and they still were terrible. Not just bad, they were terrible. They were at points flirting with relegation, Almost unheard of for a huge club to be relegated, even though that does exist in the Premier League. To have a truly big club be relegated would take so much disaster in a single season that it'd be like hard to ever imagine. But Chelsea is 22, 23 is probably the closest that you can kind of get realistically. Uh, that team was just, they just fell apart and at the seams in every single way. And I think this can happen when you bring in a new owner and he completely changes the foundations of the club because Chelsea was under Marina, who is an Abramovich uh, kind of one of his people. Uh, she was the person that dealt with all the sales, buying players, selling players, was kind of like a director of football. She and her team and Abramovich's team ran Chelsea about as well as you can run a Premier League team. Um, because Chelsea is located in Chelsea, uh, London, which is a really nice part of London. It's a uh, obviously being in London has a lot of advantages for international players, for foreign players. But Chelsea doesn't. Stamford Bridge is a you know a historically nice stadium, but it's not. It doesn't have quite the size of some of the other stadiums. And commercially, Chelsea doesn't quite have the revenues of some of the other bigger teams like Manchester United, Liverpool, um, even Arsenal. 
so Chelsea never really quite had the commercial and financial cloud as other teams, and they always re- relied on injections of money from Abramovich, and they also relied on just how well they ran the club from the top down. I mean, that was a ruthless club that pretty much always made good decisions. They're always one of the best clubs at selling players. They always knew when to just jettison off players before they get bad because one of the worst ways to run a club, and this is the classic Manchester United thing, is just to keep signing guys, and when they're not playing well, you just keep them. And then two years later, when they barely play it anymore, you can't sell them for 10 cents anymore because no one wants to buy uh, somebody that's been on the scrap heap for a long time. Yeah, it's such a hard thing to do, especially when you're one of the best clubs in the world. I mean, your market of clubs that can afford your best players is so, so small. It really does take someone who is incredible at their job to to not to extract value out of that and to kind of continue that funding. You know, obviously Chelsea get a lot of stick for how much of a cash infusion that they got from Abramovich. And I, I think when he left, he basically wrote off like 1.5 billion uh, pounds that the club quote unquote owed him, which, you know, just shows how much money this guy had that you can just walk away from that and be like, all right, I guess, you know, I'll just continue living my life. But yeah, it's it's just insane that they won the league back-to-back in 04, 05, 05, 06 after being bought by him in 03. Like, that's that's such a quick turnaround, even with cash. Like, that's so hard to not just, you know, create that culture of winning immediately and, you know, capitalizing on that. And there's their kind of failures in how they did last year is not due to the fact that they had a new owner come in who didn't want to spend money. That is not the case by any means. It's actually kind of the opposite. You know, Bully came in and was splashing cash left and right. Yeah, he came in and he wanted to implement almost like a money ball type thing or bring in this kind of American baseball contract. So in American baseball, you that is the main type of baseball. American baseball, I guess there's Japanese too. But you have people like A-Rod or Bryce Harper. These guys you'll tie up to 10-year deals, 13-year deals. Um, whereas in soccer, five to six year deal is usually kind of the the baseline. Um, most peak teams don't go really beyond five years. United always does like a six year deal. Chelsea came in and basically said, let's buy every single top young player that we can possibly think to buy. All these 20, 21 year olds that are before they reach their prime, because I think a lot of teams will buy, especially teams like United will buy players after they've kind of given their prime years. And so Chelsea's coming in with this mindset, let's form one of the youngest cores, and this is a team that will we'll spend an absurd amount of money right now, and this is a team that will hopefully dominate for the next decade. And so when Todd Bowley comes in, he buys tons of players just throughout the season, and part of this is in the winter window as well. They buy Enzo Fernandez, who is from Benfica for 105 million or so pounds, who is a Argentinian kind of midfield dynamo he can play every position essentially in the midfield he's incredible passer also has uh, a bit of bite and kick about him to basically run their midfield they buy Wesley Fofana from Leicester and just like United overpaying Leicester for Harry Maguire in center center back it sounds it seems like they've overpaid for Wesley Fofana at center back he's a young French player but he unfortunately had a a major injury um, right when he was at Leicester, I believe he tore his ACL. Now he's had another major injury again at Chelsea. And so his career has kind of fallen off the rails, unfortunately. Um, they bought Mudrik, who is a Ukrainian from Shakhtar Donetsk, who unfortunately, you know, Shakhtar is one of the best clubs in Ukraine. Donetsk is kind of the center of Ukraine conflict right now. Um, so obviously a lot of upheaval there. But they bought him. He's this guy, this Ukraine, blonde Ukrainian guy with neck tattoo who's incredibly fast. And up until now, it's kind of been a joke. Um, I think he scored his first goal, actually, this weekend. Um, but he's probably one of the most memeable of all Chelsea players because he's been pretty much the definition of a flop up until this point. I, you know, I think he might come good because he's so young. But they bought players like Mark Cucurella from Brighton who has not lived up to the price tag he was another 60 million Raheem Sterling another 50 million who never really lived up to, he always was a really good player at Manchester City but it always felt like they could do better than him even though he was really good he was on the best team in in England and so he never really lived up to the billing and just not wasn't able to take all the chances the incredible amount of chances they made for him but they also signed Koulibaly from Napoli who is this old center back uh he's already out of the club they signed 
Aubameyang, who's already out of the club. They brought in Jao Felix, who was kind of a failure on uh, a loan deal. And then they brought in all these dudes, uh, Barashile, uh, Medueke, Gusto, uh, Andre Santos, another Fafana, all these guys that they're basically trying to not only build a first team that's young, hungry, going to dominate for the next decade, but they're also trying to kind of build a second and third team uh, that are going to basically have backups that are going to dominate and be part of the squad long term too. And one of the things that they did is they signed all these guys to seven, eight, nine year deals. And one of the ways that you could, one of the things that that does uh, is actually get around accounting things because you can spend more money if you just basically divide the tra- You're All oh, this is all accounting stupidity, but you can basically divide the transfer fee by the length of the contract and say that the money for that transfer fee only goes on your books for that transfer fee divided by that the number of years so it's a smaller number that hits your book so you can basically spend more money for financial fair play considerations actually just as a result of all this europe european uefa basically ruled that five years is the maximum limit even if you give a guy a longer contract so um they kind of caught on pretty quickly but (laughs) they've spent so much money and giving these guys really long contracts that they've kind of tied themselves to all these guys and a lot of these guys are kind of the cream of the crop in terms of premier young talent like the elite of the elite young talent if you're a really good player in pretty much any league in the world chelsea's probably looking at you and it's actually led to a lot of people being like well i thought financial fair play existed chelsea's come out and just spent like literally a billion pounds on players and how come they're allowed to do that while other teams seem like they can't and part of the reason that they can is that they're deferring all those contracts over, you know, five, six, seven-year periods. But also Chelsea, like I said before, is, is just incredible at selling players. And so they sold players like Kai Havertz to Chel- uh, to Arsenal this year for 60-something million, Mason Mount for 50-something million, uh, Kovacic for 30 million, Pulisic uh, to AC Milan they sold this year. They basically, because they have all this young talent, even if they tend to fail at Chelsea, they still have enough of a reputation and Chelsea knows when to cut loose um, and they cut loose quickly if things don't go well, that they still recoup a lot of the money that they spend on these guys. So they are locked into a lot of these guys uh, in the future. Um, but we'll see if they're kind of able to all gel because I think the potential of the squad is scary. Yeah, absolutely. I think potential is the right word for what they're looking at in the squad that they're kind of building. I just kind of worry and just like you kind of talked about, you know, these kind of perfect storms of, you know, a big club that really gets itself into trouble. And, you know, I'm not saying potentially to be relegated or anything, you know, like that. But I do worry a little bit with all of these guys on long contracts. If some of these players, you know, really don't pan out, they might not be able to recoup value. Because it's one thing if you have a player that is you know has really proven themselves a little bit in you know a top league like the premier league and you know you can sell them on you know a mason mount or a kai or you know with the marketing of Polisic. but if you find these guys so young before they've really been able to cut their teeth in a top league they don't have that name recognition and they might not be able to sell these guys in you know three or four years if they haven't really cracked into their first team and i worry what that's going to do to chelsea i worry having all of those wages on the books and not being able to shift it off, uh, what is going to happen? You know, I'm sure they're, you know, like you said, they're a well-run organization, or at least they were. I'm sure they have a lot of really smart people that have kind of worked in these things into the contracts. Maybe there's some incentives or, you know, games played into the wage structures for all these guys. But I, I really just do worry if, you know, a handful of these players don't pan out they're going to be kind of stuck with what they got for for foreseeable future yeah and they've brought in some really good players that you know they brought in Moises Caicedo which was that whole transfer drama that we talked about I think in a previous episode where they were fighting Liverpool for him spent over 100 million on him uh they brought in Lavia from Southampton for 50 something million they brought in Nkunku and Cole Palmer Cole Palmer and Nicholas Jackson and Axel Disassi who all of them, they basically are these 21-year-old guys that they spent, you know, 30 to 50 million on each. 
Um, and you'd have to think that some of them will come good. And the biggest Chelsea has not started this year off well. And the biggest problem is they can't actually score goals. And I think this is a big problem for a lot of teams in the world because there's not very many good strikers. But I think, and you're in a really good position to talk about this, is because Chelsea appointed Mauricio Pochettino, who was Tottenham's most successful manager probably of the last, I don't know, 50 years. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of his claims to fame was working with young talent. So at least Bully seems like he and the team did a little bit of their homework. They you know picked a manager that is has a proven track record of working with youth and getting a lot out of the youth. You know, there's the core of that Spurs team with you know players like you know unheard of Deli Alley. You know, getting the best out of Sonny. You know, getting Harry Kane to do where he you know is today. Uh, a lot of that they weren't big players before. You know, Poch kind of had a, a piece in that. Um, now, what I will say. Potch, after he left Spurs, went to PSG, and I don't know if he really had the best time there. Kind of like you talked about before with players kind of outlasting a manager. Uh, Potch is a little bit of a quirky guy and a little bit softer spoken than probably a, a lot of managers that are at PSG, and a lot of those players uh, have a lot of inflated egos, so they kind of saw the writing on the wall when they didn't win the Champions League that Potch was going to leave, so he, he didn't really have a great time there. But I'm not entirely sure if he is going to be uh, immediately successful here. I think if given enough time, uh, he he will be, and Chelsea will be able to to right the ship and you know be, get get more out of the talent than they have in the first two months of this year, of course. But I'm not sold on him being this incredible manager. Let's put it this way. Uh, when Spurs didn't sign him, of course I love Poch, but I wasn't too upset because I didn't think that we were Spurs were missing out on you know a top top level manager at this point. It's interesting because at Pochettino, I think the big stick that's always been used to hit uh, hit him with is that he never won a trophy with Tottenham, but he did bring them to the Champions League final. He did get them at the top end of the Premier League when that was not kind of something that Tottenham was regularly doing. And he did so by playing a brand of football that was attacking and exciting. And I think worldwide, he's known as probably a guy in this elite category. And I think a lot of play, people, if you talk to people like Gary Neville, he thinks that Pochettino is one of the absolute best managers in the world. Now, you know, whether or not he knows what he's talking about, I don't know. But uh, Pochettino, I think, has this very, very strong reputation, and they've started off slowly. Um, mostly because they can't score goals. And I, the problem is Nkunku's injured for now. Nicholas Jackson's picked up like five yellow cards already. And they just don't have a guy up top that's going to quite score uh, enough goals for them. But at the same time, you don't necessarily need that to have a re reasonably successful season. So Chelsea's in a really fragile point right now. Um, I'm a little just worried about, just like you are, that if this doesn't work, they pretty much have gone all in. Um, they've pushed all their chips in, and they've got a ton of young players as chips, and a lot of those guys are going to work out, and it's almost impossible to imagine that they wouldn't. But at the same time, they if, this, if things kind of keep going the way they have over the last 18 months, you start to worry a little bit about them because they don't have many ways to kind of get an off, get off the the highway and kind of hit an off ramp. So this is a really uh, interesting time for Chelsea. Um, I think Chelsea is a really good club. This is a club that I think tons of Americans follow because it's not quite the doesn't quite have the fame of Manchester United. It's a team that always is about winning. It's a team that's always been about kind of passion and uh, physicality and desire. Um, I think those are things that sum up Ch the the best versions of Chelsea is that defensively they are very good um, and or at least historically defensively they've always been rock solid. Uh, Chelsea as a team is in London so it, it, it brings all of the benefits of uh, any team that's located in London and I, and they kind of have a cool name to be honest um, and they also have uh, they're the Blues and uh, have a big lion on the crest so Chelsea is definitely a club that I think Americans tend to feel pretty drawn to. It is a club that is definitely among the elite. Um, they spend a ton of money. This new era of kind of growing with Pochettino, growing with a lot of these young players is so interesting. It's just really painful right now until they 
you know, configure all of this out. But they have so much world class. Like, if you just look at like the top 50 players of that are 22 and under, literally probably like 15 of them are on Chelsea. So it's hard to, maybe not that many, but close. So it's hard to imagine that some of those guys aren't going to, to kind of come out through the other side. So just briefly looking at like, uh, they have so many players on their team and it's, there's so many new people on the team that it's kind of hard to go through, but just going through their team briefly, Tiago Silva is a, a kind of legend that's still playing center back for them. He's really old. I think he's like How 39 old years he, old. Okay. I was going to say, is he over 40 now? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's been around forever. He was like on these great AC Milan teams. He played for PSG for a long time. He is like a legend. He's almost like, he's not quite the level of like Tom Brady playing for the Buccaneers, but he's almost kind of like that thing where he's like this elite guy who's just kind of on his last legs and he's bringing all this experience to a team that's otherwise literally just filled with people that are less than half his age. Robert Sanchez is kind of a stopgap in goal. They Kepa has been a failure. He's a young goalkeeper that they bought a few years ago for like 70 million, who's just not really worked out. So they're kind of in transition. In, insane amount of money. Yeah. He, yeah. And they gave him like a eight year deal or something. And so they can't really get rid of him. Uh, but Robert Sanchez from Brighton uh, is their keeper this season. I don't think he's going to be the keeper next season. But then you look at their defenders. Fafana's out. Levi Colwell, uh, he played for Brighton last year. He's a left-back center back. I think in the future he's just going to mostly be a center back. But he is definitely one of the bright talents of the entire this entire generation of English players. And I think he's going to be a mainstay of this Chelsea team. Um, he has a chance to kind of be one of the absolute best players in the world um, and kind of be a stalwart for England as well in the future. Um, Mark Cucurella at left back as well as Ben Chilwell. They both are injured, I think, and kind of fighting for that position. But Ben Chilwell, has, who's been kind of there since the Frank Lampard days, has unfortunately had like three or four really bad hamstring injuries. So we're, uh, he may never kind of recover from that, or at least it might take him a while. Um, Reese James is now the club captain. He's a Chelsea guy. He is absolutely one of the absolute best right backs in the world. He is physical, fast, skilled. He's kind of like a unit. He's powerful. Um, Reese James is absolutely everything that you'd want from a right back. He is just so dynamic, um, powerful, attacking defender. He is everything. Passion. The biggest problem is he just cannot stay fit. He gets injured multiple times every season. Um, and it's really limited his career. Um, he's still young, and so you'd hope that, you know, he can kind of get over these injury things. Sometimes these young players, it takes them a little bit of time before they become less injury-prone, but sometimes those guys just never really recover. But hopefully, you know, he will, um, and he's going to be somebody that will be there for a long time. He's still only 23 and one of the best players in the world already. Their midfield seems set up for the next decade. Enzo Fernandez is 22, Moises Caicedo is 21. Both of them cost $100 million plus. They are probably the two best uh, 20 to 22-year-old midfielders in the world. So um, that midfield pairing, at least on paper, looks like it's one that can win the Champions League, win the Premier League multiple times. Um, and that's what they're going to hope that they get from them. They have Mudrik, uh, who's this, who's that really fast Ukrainian guy. You know, We'll see if he actually uh, lives up to the hype. Nicholas Jackson and Christopher Nkunku right now up top, as well as Raheem Sterling. Raheem Sterling, I just... He's getting older. I just don't think he's going to be kind of the person to lead them back to the promised land, but he's kind of a, a decent stopgap. Nicholas Jackson, uh, he has played well this year, He, but he's just not a finisher. So I'm not sure he's ever going to be, if you can't score goals, you know, even if you do everything else incredibly well, it's kind of the Gabriel Jesus thing. It's like you can be literally one of the best forwards at defending, passing, holding the ball up, pretty much everything that you can think of. But if you're not there just scoring goals, it's like, you can't really be the best um, in that position in the world, and oftentimes they're going to want to replace you. So, you know, we'll see if he can kind of um, live up to the hype. They have a ton of other young players. Carney Chukwameka, um, who's 19 and has played well in central midfielder this year. They bought Cole Palmer from uh, Manchester City, who I think has a bright future. We'll see a lot of these guys like Madueke, Armando Broja, all these guys that are just like, it's so hard to say so much about these guys because, like you said, they're not brand name guys. Like, they're brand name young talent, but they haven't, they don't have a track record generally of themselves. So, 
all of them have so much potential. I mean, these this team has so much potential. And if things go well for Chelsea, I honestly, this is a team that will... like If the plan works out as they envision it, um, this is a team that's going to dominate for a decade. But that remains to be seen. You said it exactly right about the highs and lows. I think the Chelsea fan base is actually a fan base that can kind of weather these storms a little bit better than I would say the other big six teams or successful teams. I mean, you see the meltdowns that... I, I can't imagine any of the other, you know, classic big six teams being able to stomach finishing in 14th place and not, you know, burning the entire place down. Well, and I think it's interesting that, that you say that because I think part of this whole like winning mentality of Chelsea means that they kind of get a free pass in some ways. Like another Arsenal finishing 14th would kind of just like be the most memed thing in all of history. <laughs> uh, if, United finished 14th, the whole internet would just explode. Uh, they would just end the season um, and uh, end uh, the Premier League as a whole. You know, all the Instagram accounts would, would have to be shut down. They just, you couldn't talk about soccer anymore because that's that's the end times if Manchester United finishes 14th. But Chelsea does it. And, you know, maybe they're going to finish, you know, bottom half this year. I, I doubt it, but it's possible. And somehow they kind of slide under the radar. And I think part of that is they're just not quite that level commercially and um, kind of marketability wise and they always have had this well we're a winning club we have a winning mentality and to be fair to them the 20 from 20 you know 2009 to 2022 until Liverpool kind of came on they were probably the best team in England in terms of going through that decade so it was always a little bit hard to throw stuff in their face when it's like yeah you finished 14th last year but you came back and won the title the year after but is that going to be the case going forward? I'm not sure. And now that they've spent so much money, they have kind of reached everyone's radar. So, yeah, it's. I think they're used to firing managers there, um, and they know that the money from Bowley is still there to to kind of buy new players, even if things go belly up. So, uh, yeah, we'll see if they can weather the storm and see kind of the trajectory that this team is going to be on, whether that's up, down, or sideways. Yeah, so, I mean, they, they really have to be able to stomach this to stick with a manager that's kind of looking at this as a future project. So, in your opinion, if they're in, let's say, let's just pick 14th place by November, do you think the writing's on the wall for Potch and he's going to be sacked? Or do you think they're going to kind of come at this with a non-traditional view of this is a long-term project and you know not not finishing top half is okay for this year. I mean, I think it's never okay for a team like Chelsea, but they're honestly running out, and this sounds kind of silly to say, but they're honestly running out of managers to hire. Um, there's not that, like, you fire a manager every six months. What manager is going to leave their team mid-year to join that team? It doesn't really make sense because you know that if you don't turn things around instantly, you're just going to get fired. So why... And they're going to be taking, you know, people that are doing well at their current job. So, you know, that worked for people like Graham Potter. But if they went to Deserby this year and just offered him a ton of money, maybe he just says yes because of the money. But I doubt it because he knows he's, that money's coming either way in the future. And going to Chelsea, ruining your reputation for two months of uh, a big payoff is just, I don't think that's going to appeal to that top, top level of manager. So to me... You signed Pochettino to bring these young kids along. Let him bring the young kids along. This is a guy who's been able to do that in the past. And if you give the manager power, then the players know that they have to perform for him. Um, so, I, you know, if, to me, I think you can't get rid of Poch unless you're literally going to get relegated, uh, which I think is pretty much impossible for them. There's some, there's some bad teams out there this year. I don't, I don't think they're anywhere near relegation fodder. I think we should probably take it then to the hope to heartbreak for Chelsea. What we like to do for each of the teams, if you are new listening into this, is just kind of give, as a fan, uh, what level out of, I think, zero to five, I think is what we based it at. I always forget if it's a one or a zero, but from zero to five, I'm going to say, you know, what, what is the hope? What is it? What are you expecting for this season? And then the heartbreak, you know, how disappointed are you basically going to be, you know, if and when uh, things don't kind of go your way? And I think this one's actually really, really hard to answer, uh, especially with a new regime change. The culture is completely shifted, at least it feels like for uh, this year. So 
I would say hope for this year, I would say maybe a two. Uh, you know, with just with looking at this as a kind of long-term project, I don't think fans are really, you know, expecting a lot from this team. But what do you think about as a hope? Because I don't really care too much about this year because, like you said, the expectations for this year have changed. The, the, the fans don't expect to win anything this year. They expect the team to grow. They expect the team to kind of the foundations of a future dominant team to be formed this year. So to me, it's not interesting what the hope and heartbreak is this year. But if you're a Chelsea fan looking at the next decade, what do you think? Next decade, I mean, then that's, that's a better way of framing it, I think, because, yeah, you're right. It's too easy to answer it for next year. I would probably have to say a four and a half. And if we're going decade, I mean, you've spent all of this money. You better get something out of these. Yeah, I think it's easily a five. I mean, they spend more money than any other team in the world, and they've bought elite talent i mean the minimum expectation for this group is and in, in the future to win a big title and by a big title i mean premier league or champions league and then i guess for the heartbreak what are you going to say for the next decade as well see i think this is the problem with manchester city uh is if they never go bad then <laughs> none of these teams may win anything and then uh, the heartbreak is going to be high and so because they've not shown any signs of kind of dominant talent, which honestly you would have expected to kind of appear right now, by now, I think the heart, the there's a, a four in terms of the heartbreak because Chelsea may soon realize that even though it's not quite the same, right? Sir Alex Ferguson was a manager. Wenger was a manager. You know, neither Manchester United or Arsenal have ever hit the highs that they did under those two big managers. Chelsea fans and Chelsea as a football club may realize that they may never hit the highs of the Abramovich era again. Um, and that could materialize over the next decade. And it'd be interesting to see what's going to happen. So I, I think the hope is very high, but the risk of it all going belly up, also very high. Yeah, I think four, it, four is about right. There is definitely... Uh, it's not just not winning silverware. It's you know, the danger of having something drastic happen if this all-in kind of moment doesn't work out. So it'll be interesting to kind of see. And, you know, for better or worse, it'll be interesting either way. This is just very different than what we've seen from any Premier League club in the era. So I, I'm really interested to, you know, check back in with us in, you know, five to ten years. And you can kind of look at it from a like a, a historian and see if they made the right calls or if this is the last time you ever hear of Chelsea Football Club. Well, somehow I don't think that, but <laughs> that's too far. But we can all hope. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Chelsea, Chelsea's a great club to follow. Um, to be honest, it's a club I think that is very accessible from an American standpoint. Um, it has all the I think the hallmarks of a team that always wants to win. Has a rich uh, kind of history, especially recently, uh, about it, and is a team that is looking to to kind of reach the very top. And it's a good time to get back in because you're at the beginning of a cycle, not at the end or in the middle of a a cycle. This is a new team, a team that I think is going to redefine what Chelsea looks like and what we think of. Because I think Mourinho, Conte type of Chelsea is gone um, forever, and this reinvention getting in now I think is a really interesting time to join up as a fan so if you're really looking for a team getting in on Chelsea you know it's hard to say that you're not you know you're at the bottom level when you just spent a billion pounds on players but this is a this is a new cycle of of new players um and a new Chelsea um so I think it's a really good time to join up um and start supporting this club yeah having Christian Pulisic there uh, as Captain America is always a way to to get uh, American fans into the team. So I think that's a big reason probably recently some folks may have jumped over and started following Chelsea, especially as the Premier League continues to grow. Uh, and the last thing I kind of think about is what the thought process must be if you're a youth at the Chelsea Academy right now. I mean, if I'm at Chelsea's Academy, I am looking to any other club to see if they're they're willing to give me a contract because it doesn't look like there's a real clear path to organically come up in this club in the next five or so years. And, you know, this, I think, is is warrants a, actually, it's a really interesting point because it warrants a really long discussion, I think, that we could have at a later time. But Chelsea's academy, along with Manchester City, but Chelsea and Manchester City's academies are probably the two best academies in England. 
And neither of them are really built to do what academies traditionally have done anymore. And this is something I think we can look at in further depth, but both of them are essentially platforms to join other clubs in England and other clubs in Europe. Because everyone knows that the Chelsea first team and the Manchester City first team are very good and filled with kind of elite young uh, talent, they know that there's not going to be a lot of room, but they also know that those academies are elite. And they know that those the coaches at those academies teach those players to be Chelsea players, to be Manchester City players, to be players that are attacking, have all of the technical ability that you can possibly have in the world. And they know when they sign an 18-year-old from one of these clubs, they know they may be getting a future talent that may take the world by storm. So to me, players, young kids and their parents and their agents, you know, if you're 16 years old, going to a Manchester City, going to Chelsea, even though you may never make it in those teams in and of themselves, it is actually probably the single best pathway to making it to the Premier League because they will utilize your talent and turn you into a an elite level talent, at least relative to kind of any of the other Premier League academies uh, in a way that is going to showcase you and put you on the map because teams like Burnley, all these teams are looking. If you look at the loan list that Chelsea has, they are loaning out tons of really successful 18-year-olds, 17-year-olds, 19-year-olds to championship teams, to Premier League teams. And those guys go on to have really good careers. So it's kind of a new age academy. And all of this is also built into the fact that both Chelsea and Manchester City are going through this kind of terrible thing where they have, are basically doing multi-club owner, multi ownership. So the same owner owns like a club in England and a club in France and a club in Belgium and a club in Italy and a club. And it means that they can, Chelsea can then loan, you know, a player out to their club, their sister club, who's also owned by Todd Bowley in France. And it means that they now have a platform to first team minutes because it's kind of mutually beneficial. So we can get into that at a later time, but it's, and it's a really interesting point, but because they're almost like factories now that showcase these young players. So in some ways I hear what you're saying, but, most of the, I think most of these people look, most of these players probably, and all the people that are advising them look at Chelsea, look at Manchester City, and say, "That's where I want to grow. That's where I want to be." Because even if I don't make it at that club, they're going to sell me for five, ten million to another Premier League club, and I'm going to have all of the, the best, you know, education in the world. They're essentially, you know, it's like the best college. Uh, you know, it's like going to Harvard. It opens up doors just going to those clubs because they taught you so well. Yeah, and then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy where now you continue to get the best talent and it goes on and on and on until, you know, you become a absolute dominant force in Europe like City is now. But I think that is all the time that we have for this episode. So thank you all so much for listening to the Premier League Proven Podcast. Uh, please go ahead and check out our Instagram page or any of our other socials at Premier League Proven Podcast. Uh, let us know if you have any questions, if you have other topics you want us to talk about, or if you just want to interact with us. And we absolutely appreciate you tuning in and sticking here with us to allow us to talk about something that we love to talk about. Signing off.